Here at The Times, we love food. And living in California, Vietnamese culture and cuisine is all around us. The famous beef noodle soup pho, although I like chicken pho better. The big sandwiches called banh mi, and my favorite Vietnamese dish. It's a vermicelli noodle salad called boon. It seems simple, but it's so good. You put some fish sauce on it, some hoisin, eat it with some chilled chrysanthemum tea, and oh my gosh, it's like, I need some after this. Happy Lunar New Year! Tet's a national holiday, and not just in Vietnam, but all over the world, wherever the Vietnamese diaspora is. And in the United States, traditions like red envelopes filled with money, special dishes, and parades, they've become a part of life in American cities. Not just the big ones like San Jose or Houston and Little Saigon in Orange County, California, where the big Vietnamese populations are, but even small towns in the South and beyond. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Tuesday, February 1st, 2022. Now, I can romanticize the food for hours, but I also know there's narratives of colonialism, resistance, and diaspora behind all of it. So for this Tet, I want to get into all that. And there's no better guest that I could think of for this conversation than our three guests today. Kung Pham is founder of Red Boat Fish Sauce, Diep Tran is an L.A.-based chef whose family owns a legendary Fuss 79 chain. And journalist Tian Wen is an acclaimed food writer. So they all wrote a cookbook together. Kung Diep Tian, welcome to The Times. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, so for those who have no idea what TED is about, I'd actually, instead of trying to explain it, I'd like each of you to share your favorite memories of the holiday. Deep, what's your TED memory? We kind of went all out. I mean, everybody in the family was a good cook, not just my grandmother. My grandma was OG, for sure, but everybody, because grandma was so great, all the daughter-in-laws, my aunties, had to bring it, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so it was definitely like, you wore your best outside, you also brought your best dish. Our uh, celebrations weren't humble in any way. It was like refugees trying to establish their class standing. Well, I mean, it's it's family. So families, there's always going to be aunties trying to one up each other. It happens with Mexicans as well. But what are some of your memories, Tian? You know, when I was younger, we used to go to, you know, my, my uncles and my cousins and we'd just have a big feast, right? There'd be lots of food. Titka was always on the table. I don't think you could have a new year without Titka. Egg rolls, just mounds of different types of salads, different types of dipping sauce. Everyone has their own version of Nick Chum, and everyone thinks theirs is the best. <laughs> As we got older, you know, my mom was working a lot more. If my mom could do it, which she did, you know, she always managed to pull it off, which was always amazing to me because she was a single mom, was just making mounds of egg rolls. I have three sisters, and we all would just get together, help her make egg rolls, help her roll. And I'm pretty sure it's like similar to you, Gustavo, when you're making like tamales with your family, like you know who made which one just based <laughs> on the way it rolls. Like mine was always way too small. This is too skinny. So, you know, that was that was one of my egg rolls. That, I, I just think it's so cool. Also, like egg rolls with Vietnamese wrapping with your hands, tamales for a lot of Latino families also during the holiday. Something about that hominess and also the tactile sense of memory that all of these different traditions have. Yeah. You know, because we went through some hard times, you know, and I don't remember a lot of it, but I do remember those moments just around our, our dining room table and just taking out the pork and figure out how much seasoning to put in. And like, my mom would never have an exact recipe. And Fung, let's end on you. Talking about Tet, a specific Tet, February 1979, fishing boats, a specific moment in your life. Right. What happened then and what does it all mean for you today? 
oh my gosh. You know, my mom called me one night and say, okay, can you come home, please? Usually at night we go out, right? Hang out with friends. And I didn't know what's happening. And she had a plate of chicken, you know, roasted chicken. And she said, eat it. And she gave me two. I mean, chicken you, you, you share for the family. I say, why am I getting this? So I finished that and I say, okay, get on the car. And then drove up to the Mekong Delta. That's where we're boarding the, the fishing boat. And she told me that you're leaving tonight. And I didn't even have a chance to say goodbye to anybody. So I get on the boat, you know, she said, okay, you get on first. All, you know, families are gonna follow after. That moment's always stuck on my mind. It's a dark night. It's very hard. So that makes emotion, you know. Uh, we didn't know how good the life I had until I get on the boat, going through all kinds of things that one point in time, I didn't think that I would made it because the boat engine is on fire. We thought that we were being chased by the sea patrol and then people fighting. And then we finally made it. I said, oh my gosh, we made it. We made it. We see land, right? Pirates along the way. But anyway, we made it to land without, oh, it's over. You know, this is the hardest thing we went. And then it's getting harder and harder to get on the refugee camp. A refugee camp in Malaysia where thousands of Vietnamese ended up. And people might think once you're in a refugee camp, the hard part is over, the dangerous journey and all that. But the struggles are just beginning once you get into those camps. You know, you don't have enough thing to eat, go find food. You have to get on the boat to go buy stuff and sell stuff on the market to make enough money, you know, to buy food. Do whatever it takes to make a dollar or two just to get through it. And, you know, one thing that I keep telling people, don't take things for granted. We were given salt, you know, salt that you eat with the rice. You have to divide it equally among people so that, you know, you get enough of yours. You know, going through that, you know, basically the bottom of what people would go through. And then you kind of adapt to it living in the camp nine months, it's kind improving as, as the time goes by. But the day I left, I was so happy that we've been through such a hardship in terms of materially in life. You finally ended up in the United States thanks to a sponsorship from your brother. You know, when people look me on the train, I say, He's come from another plan or something. When we reunion, we get everybody together. You know, we keep talking about these memories. And I think this is what help get people stronger when you've learned and don't take things for granted. We'll be back after this break.
Welcome back. Kung, we all know you as the founder of the highly successful Red Boat Fish Sauce. It's bright, deep flavor. Oh, gosh. Like, I just want to soak every rice grain I'll ever see for the rest of my life. Just put it in there. Just, like, eat it. But you actually started off your career doing something completely different. So when I came here and I look at myself, I say, my mom sent me here. I can do what I love, but I still need the support. So, so we major in engineering and then... I found the job. I love it. Keep doing that until okay. I had a chance so to I need to back. interrupt because I think, Kung, you're skipping over a big part. You said you found a job in engineering that you love. What company <laughs> was He's that? He's being humble. I was going to ask that, but thanks. In the very early days of writing the book, I think I spent most of my time talking to you, Kung, about this job you right. had. I didn't even get to the fish sauce until way Okay, later. if you really want it. <laughs> You know, I, I started with Apple back in 1984. Oh, now Apple, 19, yeah, not just any engineering. <laughs> 1984 is a big, big year for the <laughs> Bay Area, right? I started my job there, right? Uh, Apple launched the Macintosh in 1984, and oh, yeah. the 49er won the Super Bowl in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lot of things. So we, we started out on the job, and I said, okay. This is pay a decent job. I have money I send home. And it turned out like, you know, I like it. It's just the culture. And there's a lot of things that I've learned from that 20 years that I've been there until I had a chance to go back. I grew up with fortunately good fish sauce. I didn't know it was so good until we didn't have it for so long. So that's how, that's how, that's in my mind. I say, wow. And I start asking myself, you know, in the United States, we've had everything. How can we cannot have better visas than what is out there? Okay, now I, I gotta interject again because <laughs> you weren't just working at Red Bull in 1984. You were working with Steve Jobs. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's an icon, and I think, like... Right, right. I mean, come on. Like, like Kung is saying, like, oh, yeah, 1984 was a big year for the Bay Area. Oh, it was, like, one of the most consequential years in American history, for that matter. And he's right there in the middle. But I just think it's just so incredible that you have this tech career. And I'll, I'll throw this to you, Deep. You know, he, he had this tech career... He then gets on this fish sauce. It's those memories, those longings of home. Describe the flavor of that Red Boat fish sauce and how well it goes with just all the dishes that you make. For me, when I first heard about Red Boat, the first pressed fish sauce in the U.S., and I'm like, what? Because my grandparents always, and they have like a small part in a, like a distribution of fish sauce, you know, in the 1960s. And so they talked about how fish sauce was, was really great. And I just never taste the difference between all the fish sauces that were in the market at the moment. But they would just like, like oh, this fish sauce is not good. Remember that first fresh fish sauce we had in 1961? They talk about it the way like people talked about like wine, like vintage, <laughs> you know? Vintage, a vintage. Yeah, like, oh, that was a good year. And it's true because like <laughs> what I learned from Claudia is like some years the anchovies are fatter. And so they have more oil, so they're, you know, they're more aromatic. And so I tried it just at home and it was so revelatory that I had a restaurant at the time. It was going for like a year and a half already. And uh, I changed my all my recipes for the restaurant for it. Like wow. I pretty much overhauled like a 50 gallon recipe. You're going to see a lot of these memories right now during Tet. But of course, we have COVID. Is it going to be difficult getting together with family and friends 
this Tet as opposed to 2021. I think 2020, that's when people are starting to get scared about it. Tian, let's start with you. Well, I mean, I've definitely heard that people are more vaccinated, but they're still conscious about gathering. That is hard about Tet because you do want to gather, you do want to celebrate, you do want to ring in. It's Year of the Tigers. You want to ring in the Year of the Tiger with your you know, your loved ones, your families. So I do know that a couple of my friends, they are being very conscious about maybe just dropping by their parents, their grandparents' place, their aunts and uncles, kind of seeing them at a distance, not necessarily really gathering as much, or if they're going to do something, it's going to be outdoors and fairly quick. Yeah. But, I mean, I, that's, I mean, I'm planning, I'm probably, I'm going to see my mom drop off some dungeon for her, but I'm probably not going to stay very long. And I will probably see her outside because she's older, you know, and these numbers every day that the LA county public health puts out are really scary. No, they totally are. Deep, how does that change then, this cautious? How does that change, Tet, for you? I think I'm kind of used to it. I think a lot of people are having like quarantine fatigue. We already survived this long. Why break it now, you know? So I think for me, it's like, is the gathering important? Or is it making sure people are still alive for the next year? <laughs> you know? So, you know, Seriously. Yeah, and I, I also, in my family, there's uh, varying rates of vaccinations. And, you know, uh, you know, they, they live behind the orange So court. there's pandejos among Vietnamese as well, in other words. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It might. Yes. For me, the, the pain of, like, not being in person, I can live with that. And what I'm doing is I'm just dropping food off. Like, you know, I do the bunching collective every year. It's our 10th year. It's our second year doing virtual bunch of. But a lot of my families are having huge parties. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the Bang Chun Collective, because there was a great write-up a couple of years ago in the New York Times. It's a community of women, people of color, and different gender identities that you get together to make these rice cakes that are made around Tet. So you were able to do that this year. Well, this year, we were able to uh, have a virtual event with over 400 people. Bunching is kind of a little bit of a dying art in the sense of, like, people usually buy it now. And so we just have this collectively on Zoom. We have me and a bunch of teachers teach people how to make bunching and make it in their instant pot. We, you know, we're like informed by tradition, but we're not tethered to it. For queers, it's really kind of like a queer-centric event. And sometimes, you know, I think people who are queer might have a hard time being with their families for one reason or another. And so what, it, sometimes that break in family ties sometimes feels like a break with cultural ties. And so what I wanted to do was like, hey, you can have fit, but on your own terms. You don't have to like sit next to a homophobic uncle talking to you about the Bible, you know? And then you, because who wants to fight at a family function? And this is my own experience. Like when I was younger, was, I would just go to fit events and I would just come home and just feel so depleted. I had used to really short hair and I wore a wig to a fit function because I didn't want to hear about my short hair. You know what I mean? So that's kind of like the, the, the kind of the ethos of why we started munching. But now it's just a celebration. Like, so I just tell people like, hey, come in your full realized self. Not only do we, are we not going to scorn you, we're going to applaud you. We'll be back after this break. So, Kung, how are you going to be celebrating Tet this year? We're planning to get together. Last year, we didn't because uh, we feel a lot better now because of the vaccine. And that is very special. 
for our family, right? In Vietnamese, people commemorate the death day, right? So my grandfather, he passed away one week before uh, New Year. My grandmother, one day before grandmother. So this is the time people get together. We talk about all the history, you know, all the good memory that we've had. And the parents, my mom especially, she cooks and she can start telling story about, you know, the past. Sometimes you don't get to hear all of that. How are each of you seeing to evolve in the U.S.? I, I remember for me a couple of years ago, because I live in Orange County, so my entire life I've been going through Little Saigon and whatnot. But then one year I saw KFC. They had a banner wishing everyone a happy Lunar New Year in Vietnamese. And, and they weren't selling any Vietnamese specials. They were just saying, hey, happy New Year to everyone. I'm like, wow, if KFC is getting Tet, like, <laughs> damn, things are changing. Well, I think for me, the biggest change is the media. Like you don't see it being called Chinese New Year all the time. Yeah. I feel like there is definitely more of a, a, a an effort to realize that the New Year is celebrated by many Asian countries and different communities. So like for me, that's that's been the biggest change just in terms of media and, and the verbiage that we're using now. Deep. I think what has been has been happening in Little Saigon, Orange County for decades has actually now become part of mainstream uh, conversations about Vietnamese American community, which is Little Saigon Orange County has never looked to the outside to define itself. You have like these shops that are just for Vietnamese vegetables or Vietnamese fruit. It's not looking for an outside audience, but I think mainstream media, when you talk about Vietnamese food, it's always kind of like, oh, let me show non-Vietnamese people what this food is about. But now I think there's enough of, you know, food writers, chefs that are just celebrating the, the Vietnamese culinary traditions and not having to translate that, like getting to talk about our food on our own terms, yeah. which has always happened in, in insular communities. Well, well, it's that it's that like classic uh, for me, the acceptance of a food style or a dish is once you don't italicize it anymore. People used to italicize taco. People used to italicize. Yeah. I, I still remember when myself, like we're talking about 20 years ago, I would italicize banh mi and pho and all these Vietnamese dishes and you just don't do it anymore. Thank goodness. I mean, like, I, I, I italicized those words when I first started writing about food. And I just felt so weird doing it because actually I should really, if it was me, I would italicize all the English words. But me and fellas should be in non-italics. That, again, is very special day for the Vietnamese, right? This is a Lunar New Year. That's where we go by. I've been talking to people back home and people getting ready to celebrate and they say, fine, let's do that. But here we, we're trying to go back and remember all the tradition is important because if you don't keep it, you're going to lose it. When you lose it, it's gone. Deep Tian Kung, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, the killing of three reporters in Mexico this January has journalists in the country on edge again. This episode was produced by senior producer Denise Guerra. 
The Times' senior producers also include Shannon Lynn and Kasha Brasalian, with help from Myron Kaplan, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us Tapuchia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this madre. Come on.